What is up, hoopers, analytics, bad guys, bucket getters, boosters, blue bloods, and new bloods? On today's episode, we are previewing, special preview edition, House of Kraus, bringing it all together, previewing Gonzaga's preseason pay-per-view event versus the very talented Tennessee Volunteers. We also will be breaking down some little tidbits and hints that Mark Few gave Joe Canzano on his radio show in Oregon and what that means for conference realignment, what that means for this pay-per-view event, where, where, where are the cabals going? We we'll break it down. Hello, Hooper Old. My name is Suck Clary. I write for Slipper Soul Fit and Busting Brackets. And hello, Hooper Old. And on Busting Brackets this week, today, Friday, October 28th, I have the WCC preseason rankings, breaking down each team in the conference. Give it a read at bustingbrackets.com. And joining me today, he's out in Lake Oswego, saving his voice for when he joins the Moda Center yet again. To yell how great Shaden Sharp is. It's him. It's also him. It's Austin King. What up, Tuck? Yo, Austin, thank you for joining me. Unfortunately, we are not joined today by our dear friend and co-host, Josh Linky. He is with his family preparing for Halloween. Austin, you know how like uh, uh, for Halloween, parents often uh, don't give the kids what their Halloween costumes that they would want? to actually be like you know kids are like i want to be a firefighter i want to be a pirate and then the parent is like i'm going to put my uh unprocessed childhood trauma on you and have you be vincent van gogh without an ear because i think that's interesting and good content uh what do you think is he's forcing his kids to dress up for for halloween do you think it is five different versions of sam perkins (laughs) <laughs> i i was just gonna assume he was gonna dress them all up in adam morrison jerseys and process <laughs> process through the ucla trauma three uh, sam dowers and two andrew nemharts yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah. It, my version of this is that i was hoping to be some version of ben affleck but uh my girlfriend is demanding that i dress up as lou kang i don't really know who that oh, is oh no uh, she's dressing up as someone from mortal Kombat. you were stuck dude you're gonna and be honestly you know i i hit the gym but if you look up that costume, he is not wearing a shirt. And, like, you know, it's just a little much for me. It's uh, cold so out I've, here. I have found ways. Yeah, it's very cold. Uh, I was supposed to go to Los Angeles uh, for Halloween, and I I opted out. So, um, like many during the COVID season, I was like, uh, I, I've got to opt out of this. Um, I will take a red shirt year on this. Uh, spoilers for my Halloween costume. I will be disgraced Portland Trailblazers GM of yesteryear, Neil O'Shea. You can see me uh, measuring tape next to uh, random people to make sure they're six foot three. If you're six foot three, you're in. If you're six foot five, you're out. Uh, proprietary information on hand. And I will be chugging a water bottle from how awkward it is. All right. We're recording this. Before Gonzaga's game on Friday, if you're listening to this episode on Friday, Gonzaga plays at 6 p.m. Pacific time on pay-per-view.com. It's a massive pay-per-view event. 
honestly the first time I've ever heard of a preseason scrimmage being even televised really outside of like can't even think of a college basketball game that's ever been pay-per-view yeah I mean maybe it used to be back in the day but I ain't that old so yeah we're dating ourselves maybe daddy linky would know um he's old as shit but (laughs) Josh is gonna tell us of the times you watched the Hoosiers play the Wildcats (laughs) and on and it it, in just a, a dark dark room and he stole it from like his next door neighbor yeah uh, he's like you don't remember jerry west at west virginia <laughs> you, don't, you don't remember <laughs> no, the jerry, don't. you don't remember the jerry west game on hbo uh, <laughs> uh, back when everyone just called it home box office <laughs> yes yes and the static was not just the promotional video it was actually part of the festivities um yeah. Okay, so uh, prior to this game on Thursday, in preview for this pay-per-view event, Mark Few went on to John Canzano's radio show. Canzano wrote about it in his substack, The Bald-Faced Truth. In it, Austin, you read the article as well. There were some interesting, interesting components to, to me that caught my eye in terms of not necessarily what Canzano implies in terms of uh, Gonzaga being a good fit for the Pac-12 because uh, I mean Josh and I and and others uh, that have come on this podcast have talked about how the Pac-12 isn't that interesting of a of a landing spot for Gonzaga it's if not. they want to continue to to develop as a basketball powerhouse. Um, but few said some very very interesting things uh, when it comes to what his eyes are on in terms of realignment. Um, it was uh, recently uh, Valerie Ackerman during the Big East Media Days made allusions to the fact that uh, she had uh, uh, early talks with a few programs. Um, and if you will listen to this podcast for, for more than a couple episodes, you will know that we have been on this for months. We have been talking and truthing hmm. and tinfoiling our way through the fact that Gonzaga to the Big East just makes a lot of sense. And Gonzaga to the Big East is not uh, active fiction that we are manifesting, but it's simply what we are reporting on. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah. We were we were called bad rumors on the internet by some notable, notable, notable uh, media people. But <laughs> and then journalists explained to by one that ended up reporting exactly what we were saying. Yeah. 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 And then interesting. It came on the podcast. Interestingly enough, uh, we'll say it. We'll say his name. Matt Norlander told us that we were way off base on this. And then interestingly enough, yeah, uh, it's it's mm-hmm. it, it's it's a constant, uh, interesting uh, development in terms of media folks understanding why coaches and ADs are saying what they're saying to them and what yeah. reason they're saying what they're saying and what possible benefit they get for saying how they say it would be. So they don't just about- like you. They're not your buddy. They yeah. don't just <laughs> love sharing information with you because they think you're smart and you're going to have an interesting opinion. Right. Sorry. Anyways, so breaking down some few, a few of the few sound bites uh 
Mark Fuse says, we've always just done stuff in terms of realignment and belonging to a conference because that's what we've always done it as. It's always been, you're in this league, you're in that league. You guys stay in your region and you stay in that region. I have no idea why we don't have leagues different for every sport. Hmm. 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 Uh, pardon me while I get my Brian Windhurst on and ask, now, why would he say that? Why, why, why would you say that? And, and he goes on to say, I think, I think what you're saying with the first run is football. The next run you will, you'll see will be programs in the basketball realm that can move the needle and actually generate TV revenue, generate eyeballs and have a brand. Huh? Interesting. Interesting. So the first run is right now. The second run could be in a year, could be in the off season within a year. Interestingly enough, the huh. Big East contract huh. seems to be coming up pretty soon. Interesting. Twenty twenty four. Is that is that a, could that be a, a one of the next ones? Hmm. Who's to say? What conference has a basketball brand, Tucker? Yeah, well, yeah. I I don't know. I hmm. do you think do you think the Big East is a football conference or a basketball conference? Hmm. hmm. Well, well, they well, have UConn. I don't uh, know. We should call Connor Hope right now. I'm yeah, sure he's an expert on UConn football. Uh, <laughs> through this whole yeah. run, he goes on to say, through this whole run, we positioned ourselves really, really well. Those conversations have been in the mix with all the conferences, quite frankly. Everybody is jostling around, seeing what they're doing. And he goes on, uh, Quintano interviewed uh, WCC, WCC Commissioner Gloria Navarez, who says it's completely understandable why uh, conferences would be you know, poking around, seeing if Gonzaga would have interest and why Gonzaga would also have conversations back in mutual interest. But ultimately, uh, her argument is why would Gonzaga leave if Gonzaga can already be a national title contender here? But what my favorite quote from this is maybe the most simple, maybe maybe the most direct. Mark Few, uh, the whole reason he was talking to Canzano is about this pay-per-view event where Gonzaga is playing Tennessee Friday night and few says I'm curious how pay-per-view will go I was an idiot guys during the during the craziest in the kennel and, and after the announcement of this pay-per-view event I kind of just was like oh this is a cool way for Gonzaga to enact their program's ethos of doing good in the community this is a this is a fundraiser for a nonprofit that uh -huh. gives marginalized folks uh scholarships to play uh -huh. athletics yeah um, it's for the kids it's for the kids mm -hmm. um also it's just a great way to continue building the brand and then to they still brought it back to, brought it together and he's like why would they want to build a brand you know the wind horse why is that why is Gonzaga playing pay-per-view basketball? Tuck, why do why do people use charity? Is it out of the goodness of their heart? Or, you know, or as, is it for optics? As a Gonzaga graduate and uh, somebody that works in the nonprofit sector, I will tell you first and foremost, <laughs> it is ethics. Uh, does not hurt that Gonzaga will also, as mm. what appears to be considering that the telecast is going to be... Uh, called by Gonzaga IMG uh, broadcaster Tom Hudson as the play-by-play -play guy, uh, considering that a lot of the push has been Gonzaga uh, hmm. uh, promoting this event. Wait, Tuck, what's a bigger school? Gonzaga Tennessee. or Tennessee? 
I huh. think Tennessee's a, you know, they've, yeah. they just beat Bama, dude. They're pretty bad. Huh. Huh. So all this is to say, perhaps Gonzaga is going to get some information about what their national footprint is in college basketball. If hmm. you can sell a preseason exhibition game where there's no guarantee for how many minutes people are going to play, mm-hmm. it says n- no real impact on where these two teams are at. Mm. Granted, this could shift national narratives for the people mm. who watch the game or the people who who follow this stat sheet. But mm. I think the big thing here is Gonzaga is going to learn what their national footprint is, collect data on how many folks and how many regions they're going to be able to sell this event to, um, get raw, raw data in terms of what their reach is in general by the fact that this is a pay-per-view event show how many people are willing to pay money for a non regular season basketball game. And, you know, maybe talk to Valerie Alkerman after that. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you think, Austin? Interesting. I'm just wondering, is this big brain tuck or galaxy brain tuck? Uh, this is uh, Tucker baptized in Lake Minnetonka, third <laughs> eye open, ready, ready to uh, continue telling truths and scoops. Mm. Um, but yeah, I this is just. I, I think a lot of what you have to say is very illuminating. You know, uh, my third eye might be opening alongside with you. Uh, yeah, if if it's for charity, why not just make it free stream it and then just find sponsors that will bring much more money to the charity but if you're trying to see how big the brand is and how much people are willing to pay how many people are willing to pay they may give you different information absolutely and there who knows uh we don't have a lot of information in terms of you know whether there'll be commercial breaks, what content is going to be around the basketball court, if if there's going to be any special branding on top of that. Mm-hmm. But but my eye is open and perceiving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also, to be clear, I'm not trying to like uh, <laughs> talk trash about the fact that they're like trying to help, uh, you know, underfunded. Uh, kids in sports and things of that nature. I'm not trying to, you know, dismiss. Yeah, where's your charitable. heart, Austin King? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm simply saying that there may be uh, other reasons for why uh, this game is being played mm-hmm. and being uh, shown in a specific way. So that's enough for why the game is being played. Let's have a conversation about the game itself. We don't know necessarily how how hard these two teams are going to play. It is a scrimmage game. It is an exhibition game. Both teams are ranked high nationally. Gonzaga is ranked second in the country, and Tennessee is ranked 11th. Ultimately, the record, though, Ken Palm has Gonzaga three and Tennessee four. So Yeah. What does the media know? What does Ken Palm know? We're, we're going to find out. This Tennessee team is like Gonzaga, returning a lot of talent uh, outside of Kennedy Chandler and John Fulkerson and Brandon Huntley Hatfield. The Vols are pretty much bringing back the heart of their rotation. Uh, they're, they're bringing back most of their starters and bench pieces. Kenny Chandler went on to the NBA. Fulkerson graduated 
Brandon Huntley Hatfield transferred after being a five-star freshman. And the key additions for Rick Barnes' team is Julian Phillips, a freshman future lottery pick. Uh, just a really interesting athletic wing. Uh, Tyreek Key, who is a grad transfer. He didn't play last season, uh, but he played four years at Indiana State. Go Sycamores. Go Sycamores. Shout out Mangisto Arup. Uh, BJ Edwards, a freshman guard. Uh, Rick Barnes really, really likes him. He's from the Tennessee area. He he could probably crack the rotation depending on you know him jostling with Key for minutes. And then DJ Jefferson, who is also a very athletic wing, um, doesn't have the doesn't have the handles or feel that Julian Phillips has, but but could potentially break into the rotation. Austin, I'm intrigued by your thoughts on this. What do you think of Julian Phillips? Do you think Julian will have an immediate impact in college basketball, or do you think he's going to take time to develop? Um, I, I definitely think he has a chance. I think he fits like a clear need for them. Um, last year, Tennessee was kind of like either small guards or like undersized bigs, mm-hmm. but they didn't really have – any wings at all i mean i guess you can consider josiah jordan james a wing but he really was like an undersized power forward that was like a fake stretch four kind of (laughs) you know he's like pretty jacked but then he's kind of got a broke jumper but he shot 173s last year so like but he only shot 32 percent so you know, whatever that says about, about him. Gotta keep um, the defense honest, Austin. Yeah. But like, I think what he allows is just a little bit more versatility and switchability on the defensive end, while also some like individual shot creation by someone um, on the perimeter that's bigger than five, six, like Zakai Ziegler, yeah. um, <laughs> which is, is going to be needed. Uh, you know, Zakai Ziegler is someone that is going to create through dribble penetration and pressure on the rim, uh, without necessarily being like an amazing finisher at the rim, just because he's so, so small. He's a mighty mouse. Yeah, truly. Uh, um, and then, you know, Vescovy is not really someone that's breaking someone down off the dribble and scoring. He's a chucker from three. Uh, he's a very good three-point shooter. Um, last year, he shot 253s, which I believe <laughs> Clary told me he was ninth in the ninth country. most three-point attempts in the country yeah. last season. At, at 40% volume. So it's not 40. like he's just some chucker that can't make threes. He averaged, uh, he he averaged, seven point, averaged 7.2 threes a game, 40% three-point shooter, like he said. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't, don't see that scaling up. Like, I don't you, know. How could it, right? Yeah. Unless their pace goes up significantly, I don't really see how he's shooting more than 253s next yeah. year. Yeah, and, and and I will say Julian Phillips, like you're talking about it, fit, fitting a need. I Julian Phillips is one of the most athletic wings in a class that is pretty much only athletic wings. Like, he is yeah. a freak. He originally committed to LSU, decommitted when Will Wade uh, got a strong-ass offer to go the hell away. And... <laughs> Basically, Phillips Phillips shows going to Tennessee, playing for Rick Barnes over uh, a G League offer of eight hundred thousand uh, dollars overtime, playing in overtime elite. But he is a hyper athlete. Like the dude plays above above the rim. 
Yep. He's fast as hell. Switchability, like you mentioned on defense. I'm intrigued by the tempo that Rick Barnes tries to run because it's not like Rick Barnes normally likes high tempo offense no. or, or or going out in transition. But if you have uh, a team in Tennessee that was a top three defense in Ken Palm, six highest steal rate, why wouldn't you take advantage of the fact that you have one of the freak athletes in all of college basketball, Julian Phillips? It it's it's gonna be it's Great gonna question. Be, it's gonna be a weird need because. Outside of Julian Phillips, the Tennessee's still really small. Um, mm-hmm. Tyree Key, the transfer, is six foot two. Um, and, and hold on, just to be clear, like Tennessee needs to find easy buckets. Yeah, like they're not some amazing half court offense. I mean, right. last year they came in at thirty fifth in the country in offensive efficiency according to Ken Palm, but. You know, you watch them play a lot of slow, grinded out games. Like it wasn't like this beautiful offense, right? That was being played, and so, um, you know, unfortunately, Rick Barnes does not exactly have the best history of weaponizing his small forwards. No, um, no, and this is tournament victories. Um, I, I would say in general, Austin, this is something I also want to talk to you about because I know that you're uh, not a Rick Barnes apologist. You're a supporter. I am. I am. Yeah. What is like, uh, he's not Dana Altman level because you are, but can we have a conversation about Rick Barnes five stars? Yeah. He just lost one. He just lost one. Huntley Hatfield. Yeah. Brandon Huntley Hatfield after a season celebrating on the wall was saying this ain't this offense ain't it. They say this is not going to work like this. Uh, Rick Barnes, let me go to Louisville where they have no guards. Yeah. Let me go to Louisville (laughs) and run this myself. Um, with, with this, these five stars, Rick Barnes really didn't get a lot of five stars to start his time in Tennessee. And it was pretty much really recent. Like 2020 was really the time where he started getting five stars. He got James Springer, Keon Johnson, two NBA draft picks, uh, kind of surprisingly, not lottery picks. They they didn't develop into lottery picks, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Josiah Jordan James still with the program, four year senior five star. That's pretty rare. Uh, Kennedy Chandler, uh, one and done, kind of faded in the second half. Yeah, and I thought he should have gone back to school. Yeah, and frankly, uh, considering his draft position, we'll see. We'll mm. see. But, you know, maybe also was a lot like Brandon Huntley Hatfield and looked at that offense and said, I don't know if I'm going to really develop there. Um, I'm just I'm just so intrigued because it seems like Rick Barnes gets high talent and then just kind of says, you got to fit this mold. And what sticks around are the guys that have figured out how to fit into the peg and fit his role. Sky Ziegler, uh, who, who we talked about being small, he's solid he's a he's a classic new york guard can break people down attack fearlessly he averaged 8.8 points per game uh 35 three-point shooter but he, like you mentioned his bread and butter was attacking the basket super high foul rate or fouls drawn rate uh and an 84 percent free throw shooter i think that that kind of fits the mold of rick barnes just living and dying by contested threes or attacking the basket in the half court uh, Viscovi, totally. as you mentioned, just kind of not breaking anybody down, but just just popping out if if he gets even even like a sliver of air. Do you think this is ultimately a test for Gonzaga's offense for few more so than where they measure up 
it in total mm-hmm. against Tennessee because I feel like this is a Tennessee team that is obviously fourth fourth in Ken Palm isn't a joke. Eleventh in the AP poll isn't a joke, but I just don't see the offensive firepower to stick around with Gonzaga in a normal basketball game. Totally, and you know who we said that about last season, Arkansas. I'm sorry, but another team that deeply struggled on the offensive end, but was very physical and a very good defensive team, and it did not go well from Gonzaga. And I think this is a really smart move from few to be like, we're going to start off before the e- the season even really begins. We're going to go up against a very, very, very good defensive team from the SEC, and that is going to help us set a standard for what it's like to go up against these type of defense like defenses um and remind them hey this is what it's like um you know it's i think it's easy to forget that these guys have just been playing against themselves um since the big like middle to late june that's Mm -hmm. all they've been doing is just practicing against themselves and going up against like a different style defense with a different level of athlete, you know, Gonzaga is not the most athletic team. They may be the most skilled team in the country, but they're not the most athletic and Tennessee is going to challenge them on that end. Also with a completely different style of uh, defensive scheme. And I think that's going to be just like really helpful in reminding them of what it's like going against a, a different team. Yeah, uh, Tristan Freeman was recently on the New Bloods podcast, and he talked about how he thinks when we were t- breaking down Gonzaga's schedule, he talked about a lot of Gonzaga's schedule in the non-conference outside of those marquee top three teams uh, that they'll play, you know, outside of playing or outside of the top 10 teams that they'll be playing in the regular season, like Duke, Kentucky, Baylor, uh, a lot of these... Alabama, a lot of these, a lot of these non-conference games are against underrated good opponents that have experience. Like that Kent State team is ultimately a test for Nolan Hickman as a guard to go up against sincere carry and a good backcourt. With so much returning talent for Tennessee, with a scheme and Rick Barnes, their defense is their is their namesake, their their calling card, and that's a team scheme. That's not. I guess they have athletes, but it's not like Zakai Z- Ziegler is uh, averaging an absurd steal rate because he's Zakai mm-hmm. Ziegler. It's because of how, where he's set into the defense. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like this is like ultimately if you giving getting a first good first gauge at where these this guard group is at, who is for how how Rajir Bolton does mm-hmm. how Razier Bolton does as the second point guard how Malachi adjusts to playing a higher level of opponent. Uh, because, I mean, frankly, uh, Malachi in the tournament against Illinois, he he struggled at times. Uh, yeah. Granted, he was being doubled, sometimes tripled. Yeah, uh, but he, the only plan that Underwood had was just completely sell out to stop Malachi Smith. Yes. Yeah, so he literally had nobody else. Yeah. And don't tell me D'Souza was going to be that guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, yeah, I, I think I think this Tennessee game is ultimately a great test for these guards. Mm-hmm. 
I think like if this was and, a- and think think how good Tennessee is at disrupting guards. Uh, like the game that Kirk Creesa had against yeah. Tennessee at Tennessee last year. They had like where I swear to God he had like 20 turnovers in the first half. That is what Tennessee can do to your guards. And so this is going to be a really, really good test for Nolan, for Malachi, for Rajir. For uh, Hunter. For I Hunter, mean- yeah, for all those guys. And Hunter saying, oh, okay, hey, you're going to go guard Julian Phillips. Like, go do it. Let's see what you've got. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm so intrigued because there's been a lot of talk. Hunter Salas is a great defender. There's been talk of Hunter Salas guarding one through four, and that's something I haven't seen yet. I don't want to rule it out, but I, I, w- I really want to see what Hunter looks like guard because he's largely been asked to guard the shooting guard that's been going off you know when he's subbed into games how how does he do against a six foot eight wing that has just the same verticality that he has has just the amount of uh uh point a to point b speed that he has how how is that gonna look um i mean if this was a real game obviously the the game plan is just give it to drew and have drew just back down whoever whoever's Mm -hmm. on him and I hope that's not how they play. Oh, yeah, yeah, like the Texas game where it's just like, hey, we're going to keep the ball in the center of the court. We're going to entry like do entry passes from up top. So it's hard for them to double. Uh, and then we're just going to let Drew go for 40. That's not how yeah. this game should yeah. go at all. You should be running your standard offense, keep things flowing. I wouldn't be like trying to overly scheme anything. Um yeah, I think it's just like go out and play standard basketball in a scrimmage, like how you would in a scrimmage. Right. Yeah, I, I'm completely interested in that. And I'm also intrigued in the lineups that Few throws out. Mm-hmm. And talk of this week was a John Rothstein tweet where John, bless him, he's about to not sleep till May again. He tweeted mm-hmm. out that. Mark Few said that Julian Strother was going to have a similar role or play in a rotation that was somewhat similar to the 2021 team of Corey Kispert, Corey playing the four spot. And it, look, it worked out for Corey. Corey is now playing for the Washington Wizards and was a lottery pick. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what do you make of having a four guard lineup again, especially considering the talk of who Gonzaga is facing in this non-conference. I mean, John, like they play Baylor again and we're all triggered by the Baylor championship uh-huh. game. And that, that was that team. Uh, yeah. what, what do you, what do you make of a four guard lineup and, and what this does for, for the offense, but also what it does for Drew Timmy on defense? Yeah, I think, that this team does not have the defensive ceiling that last year's team did mm-hmm. um, for obvious reasons. You don't have anyone <laughs> in the same, you know, universe of defender as Chet Holmgren, who is, you know, one of the most unbelievable defenders we've seen in college basketball of the last decade, I would say. Um, I think that's probably pretty fair to say. I know I've been accused of being hyperbolic, <laughs> um, but, but I think Chet Holmgren, pretty good at basketball, pretty good defender. Um, you know, probably outside of Walker Kessler was the best shot blocker in the country last year. Um, and could do a little bit more, um, as we saw in that Miami game. Sorry, <laughs> Melissa, uh, drink. Um, but yeah, anyway, I, I think that this team has a higher offensive upside, um, than last year did in some ways. And so I think 
optimizing that, which is playing Julian at the four. I mean, when you can take Drew Timmy, who is the best post score since who? I mean, I'm not sure I can think of a better post score in there's, probably there's my one. lifetime. There's honestly, one, and it's going to get people really mad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Tuck in... said the stat before. Um, go ahead and do it, Tuck. Uh there are only two Division One college basketball players in the NCAA tournament to shoot over 57% from the field and average more than 20 points per game. Those two people are Drew Timmy and Lou Alcindor, uh, also known as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Interesting. Interesting. Now... We'll just... Yeah. Drew Timmy's not seven foot two, and Drew Timmy is not, not Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on... Defense, nor do uh, I say the Jew Timmy is Kareem Abdul Jabbar. Yeah. What I will say is those are the only two people to do that. Yeah, yeah. Not it's Bill Walton. He didn't he didn't do that. No. Um there's been a bunch of amazing post scores. Uh Drew Timmy is up there with all of the great post scores in college basketball um history, honestly. And I know that seems hyperbolic, but you look into the stats. Uh, and you watch what he can do on the block, and there's really nobody that can defend him. Uh, you surround him with four shooters. Julian Strother, who's someone that can easily shoot out of high volume over 38%. Nolan Hickman is someone that I can uh, that I see shooting over 38%, is a very good shooter, can do it off the dribble, can shoot catch and shoot. Roger Bolton shot 46% from three last year on high volume. Malachi Smith was an unbelievable shooter. 40%. Yeah, at Chattanooga. And that's high volume and a lot off the dribble. I mean, go look at what Roger Bolton stats were at Iowa State where he was shooting off the dribble. He's like, what, like maybe a 35% three-point shooter there. And then he jumped up like 11% from three just because he moved to more transition looks and catch and shoot that is going to make a difference like if malachi smith shoots over 45 percent from three that's not outlandish that's not being crazy that is very possible for him to do with how well he shot last year and the jump that we saw from Majir could easily be what we see from malachi um when you surround drew timmy with those four shooters, you cannot double him. And if you do, Drew Timmy is a good enough passer, and the rest of those guys are good enough passers that you will give up a wide open three. And you just simply can't do that. You can't. You, can't. you, you, you literally can't. cannot. You're going to have to single cover Drew Timmy. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I think it's also worth stated. Um, I've been just getting kind of annoyed with this continual conversation of Drew Timmy against physical bigs and how Drew Timmy does against physical bigs. I can't think of two better tests to me over the last few seasons than DeAndre Williams and Jalen Duran mm-hmm. and Evan Mobley and Isaiah Mobley. Yep. In the two games that Drew Timmy played against those four guys, he scored 23 points and 25 points. Yeah. He it's like he absolutely dominated Evan Mobley. And USC, and he absolutely dominated Memphis. Yeah, it's just it's just to the point where Evan Mobley is like defensive player of the year in his second year. Yeah, level player. Jalen Duran is was a top ten pick. Yeah, 
And the only reason is because he had an NBA body and was a very good shot blocker. Yeah. Do not tell me that Drew Timmy can't handle physical guys. I, it is such a stupid, stupid argument that people that just simply don't watch basketball and just look at Drew Timmy as like a goofy white dude. And he's with a, he's a white guy with a headband and a mustache. Yeah, yeah. And they're just like, he can't be good. And it's just like, now he's really, really fucking good. And <laughs> sorry. Like, good luck single covering him, you know? Uh, it, it's not going to happen. And I just wonder, like, what this means in terms of rotation playing four guards. Obviously, there's going to be parallels to that 2021 team, but there's also parallels yep. to the 2017 team that went to the national championship mm-hmm. too. Uh, uh, Stephen Carr uh, has has uh, uh, quickly compared Malachi Smith to Nigel Williams Goss, as have you. There's there's just this ability off the dribble for him and in the half court to just get to his spot that is really yep. rare. But yep. with that 2021 team, like it, it seems to be a melding of the toughness of those 20, 2017, 20, 2017 transfer or the twenty seventeen team that had transfers and upperclassmen and a, a Zach Collins off the bench. And like the 2021 comparison is understandable too because of the style that that offense is going to play. But I wrote about this in the busting brackets preview for the WCC. There's so like the depth is different. The depth is not like the 2021 team was playing this style because they had inexperienced front court guys with Drew. I mean, Anton uh, Anton was coming off of an injury uh, the year prior as a sophomore. Um, ben Gregg was fresh out of high school. He was in high school th- three or four months before that tournament started. Uh, and Umar Bawa, who is now the starting center for uh, Powerhouse Arizona, was not Umar Bawa. He was very raw. So this idea of them playing a four-guard lineup and how, how that's going to affect their ability to predict the rim, it's not like few can't adjust in-game. It's not like few can say, okay, this is not working against Oscar Chibway and Jacob Toppin and, and Collins. Uh, bring in Efton, bring in Anton, bring in Ben. And mm-hmm. and like that versatility, Ben Greg's a good mid-range and three-point shooter, like very serviceable. He can extend, he can extend a defense, and then ben also Greg would be starting on a lot of college basketball. Ben teams. Greg would be starting on a lot of college basketball teams. Efton Reed started for a tournament team LSU as a freshman, mm-hmm. and there's no guarantee on what his minutes are going to be. And no, we're I gonna don't. we're gonna learn a lot from this preseason game. Uh, and and to be clear, he did not look amazing and craziness. Uh, but also, but, that's like, how but it's it, like it's it, it's hard because it's like that's literally all that we've gotten to see him in a Gonzaga uniform. So it's all we have to go off of. But I don't think that's like, yeah, I don't know what performance can, is going to look like. like I, 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 I asked from that. I asked Mark Few after Crazy Kennel what he. Oh, you talked to Mark? Did you oh, say yeah, Mark? yeah, 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 yeah. I was uh, Mark. Uh, I I've been sending lots of tweets uh, about Efton Reed. Mark, um, Mark, I did prayer candles for you. Can you yeah. say thanks. Uh, no, but I talked to I talked to Mark Few. Like it, this isn't really to do with Efton. This is just expectations. I talked to Mark Few after the game uh, at the press conference. I asked him what he makes of uh, the fact that. He legitimately has three sharp shooters on the team 
and a couple guys that could develop to be that level of shooter and whether or not this is the best three-point shooting team he's had. And it was funny because he did the Mark Few thing of uh, not chastise, but kind of be like, you're going to make an assumption off of a 10, a 10, 20-minute scrimmage where dudes are running upright. You're, and, and I'm like, I'm just projecting out, Mark. I'm just projecting out. I'm, I'm trying to connect the dots. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, he did also, candidly speaking, he did also be like, yeah, I think we're going to be pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. this is the thing. He's like, we can't judge anything off of a friggin', in his words, friggin' scrimmage. Uh, so, you know, who knows what Efton is? I, I think I think Efton, there is the question of his play style, whether or not he fits into a high transition, high octane offense. But, At minimum, he offers you lineup versatility. Right, right, right. Which, which last year you had to some degree, but mm-hmm. not, not a ton. Not a ton. No. And and with this bevy of three point shooting, uh, Hunter Salas has worked on his jump shot, his perimeter game a lot. Uh, he's gaining more confidence in that. There's no reason to think that he can't develop into a multi level scorer to some degree, any degree. I. I Clearly has the work ethic. He was at the Damian Lillard uh, basketball camp this summer. He worked with shooting coaches down in California, LA. Uh, there's just like an ability where you can take off. You when when you rest somebody on this team, you're going to, if anything, in, improve your defense. Like, mm-hmm. not that there's poor defenders in the starting lineup, but. If you're going to say, all right, second line, you're up, and Hunter Salas is about to play 10 minutes and just play against a dude that's like played already five to eight minutes and mm-hmm. just attack the rim and effortlessly and constantly, like what do you do against that? Like totally. there's just so many, there's just so many interesting components in so many ways that uh, this team can scheme in ways that I don't I think is underrated. So yeah. And, and I think, too, what you're going to see more is because you have those multiple guards, it's easier just to switch on defense. Um, it, you know, it's I, I don't love switching all the time defenses because they can get lazy where mm-hmm. you don't actually uh, fit within the defensive scheme that you have and you just bail out on switches. There is that kind of like lazy component to it. But if there's like hard tough switches that you can use um, because you have like-sized players in Regier, Nolan, and Malachi. Um, that's a real option for Bro. you, which you didn't exactly have last year to some degree. I'm imagining right now, what if you do like an off-ball switch where like you just have Hunter bull rush whoever gets the, gets the next pass as the secondary ball handler once the ball gets ha- past half court? Like that's a nightmare scenario. Like that that team could feast in turnovers. In, in totally, that totally. I mean, we thought that last year. I thought that they were going to cause a lot more turnovers than they did. Uh, so I'll hold yeah. my breath. Yeah. Marquis plays a much more conservative defensive scheme. Like you know, for but, my taste, I would have said, "Hey, we've got the best rim protector in college basketball." Uh, outside of Walker Kessler, why don't we play extremely high pressure defense? Uh, on the perimeter with our guards that are very good defenders and are very fast and Andrew Nemhard and Roger Bolton and sure. play passing lanes as much as possible. 
but but, but that's not what that's not what happened but wouldn't you also say that the reason why few was so conservative outside of him being a conservative coach was the fact that you don't want your guards to foul and bail out a team yeah but guess what when you have two five stars coming off your bench that you trust it's okay uh in few's defense that 2021 team uh it was a top 11 defense Mm-hmm. It was yep. and 57 in steal rate had uh, t- uh, two top 100 steal rate guys and Anton Watson and Jalen Suggs. So it's not, it's not J- like Jalen was like a free safety that did his own thing. And what was Mark? Yeah. Be like, Hey, Jalen, don't do that. It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> Jalen was absolutely special and a complete dog on defense. And that's what made him, you know, a top five pick in the draft. Um, I will say when it comes to defense this year, uh, I think a lot of the emphasis on are they going to be good or not is going to be like, hey, Drew Timmy can't protect the rim. Uh, We have clear evidence that Gonzaga can still be a very good defense with Drew Timmy being the center. Mm -hmm. Um, The question for me is Julian Strother at the four. Yeah. Um, Can he be a very good rotational defender? Corey Kispert, underrated athlete, you know, sneaky athletic um, guy. (laughs) One of the best, one of the best cutters in the NBA, apparently. Yeah. Um, But he was a good rotational defender. Um, That is what helped that team. Joel Ayayi wasn't some, you know, amazing on ball defender, but he was a very good rotational defender. He knew where he needed to be. He played the passing lanes great and he, you know, made quite a amount of steals um, because he was just in the right place. And you had great ball pressure with Jalen Suggs and Andrew Nemhard. Is Julian Strother going to be that guy that is very good at communicating in the right spots in the way that Corey Kispert was? If he can be, then I don't see any reason why Gonzaga can't be a top 20 uh, defense in the country. And that's what they're going to need if they're going to be true national title contenders. Um, And if you opt for Julian at the four for major minutes, they better be the number one offense in the country. Um, And I think that's totally possible. Well, I think that we have a lot to look forward to, not only for the season, but uh, tonight, Friday night on Paperview.com, Gonzaga versus Tennessee. Basketball's back, baby. Basketball's here. We're back, baby. It's crazy. Uh, let's let's have some fun. Yeah.